Welcome, everyone, and thank you for listening to the fifth season of Camille's Demi Hour. This is a half-hour show dedicated to sharing the Epicurean life and personal stories from Nantucket and beyond. I'll be speaking with a great mix of guests this year, from winemakers and chefs to innovative pioneers in the world of hospitality and healthy living. Thanks again for listening to the show, and cheers! Thank you for listening, everybody. This is Camille Broderick, host of Camille's Demi Hour. Our guest today is an exceptionally talented sommelier and business owner who has also been featured in a series of hit documentary films profiling his craft. Today, he is going to share more about his story and his view on the future of the wine industry. I'm very happy to welcome Master Sommelier Dustin Wilson. Welcome, Dustin. Thank you. Good to be here. It's great to have you on the show. You have a very Thanks fast... Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> well, I wanted to have you on the show because a lot of people study wine and probably presume the restaurant is one of the, the main places in the food and beverage industry to show their skill, but you've really branched out into different projects. And I'd love to hear how you've done that and, and why you did it, um, more importantly. Sure. Um, let me first ask you, do you remember the moment when you wanted to uh, to work in wine you knew that this was going to be your future yeah it wasn't like a specific moment per se but it was um it was kind of a realization at a certain point after kind of becoming a little obsessed with wine when i graduated college i wasn't quite sure what i wanted to do with my life i had been working in restaurants for a while which i enjoyed doing and you know i was making decent money and i was young and when i graduated i was a a major in in geography in college and (laughs) at the time i wasn't like thinking long term i was just like oh i just wanted to follow you know what i was interested in follow my heart with this Mm follow my gut and you know not not think too much about what the career path was going to be. And um, but yeah, I just was like, I really like this subject matter. It was really interesting to me because you, you know, you learn about um, mountain ranges and where things are in the world and uh, weather patterns and uh, the development of cities and urban areas and stuff. And it's really, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's super interesting. So then when I graduated though, you know, the job options were pretty slim and all of them uh, would have been a, a pretty hefty pay cut from what I was making at the restaurant. So um, I really didn't know what to do. And I, I was also, uh, a skier and really love the mountains and the outdoors and it's like you know what why don't I I'm just going to take some time and kind of goof off a little bit and so I moved to Colorado uh, or planned to move to Colorado I should say and um, during this time I was working at a uh, a restaurant in Baltimore uh, called Ruth's Chris Steakhouse which is probably heard of it's a chain mm-hmm. you know and they had a pretty decent sized wine list and I had to learn about wine a little bit and I started really enjoying it and um and just liking it. So I started reading about wine on, on the side and just kind of buying wine and getting more into it on my own um, and decided to take a wine class up in Philadelphia um, through the International Sommelier Guild, which was a great, like really foundational, like introductory course on wine. That kind of killed some time before I, I moved, but, you know, I saved up some money, moved to Colorado. And then, um, you know, my, my only stipulations when I moved out there were I wanted to find a restaurant that was dinner only so that I could ensure daytimes are free to go skiing if I wanted, you know, that had a decent wine program. I ended up landing on uh, this place called Frosca Food and Wine, and it was in Boulder, and it was run by a uh, master sommelier named Bobby Stuckey. And, um, you know, I didn't really realize at the time how fortunate I was to have found this place. But, you know, Mm -hmm. Bobby ended up being a a longtime mentor to me and um, both you know, from a restaurant and hospitality standpoint, as well as a wine standpoint. But anyway, it was 
my plan was originally to kind of move to Colorado, ski, goof off, learn about wine uh, for maybe like a year, two tops. And then I was like, all right, the plan is going to be come back to, to Maryland where I'm from and, and go back to school and get an MBA and go get a, you know, quote unquote, real job. And, um, you know, those two years kind of came and, came and went really quickly out in Colorado. And I was loving it and enjoying everything. And I, at that point, I had actually made it onto the sommelier team at this restaurant. And I was just having a blast. And it was kind of like at this this juncture that I started thinking about my life. And I'm like, what am I doing? You know, I'm out here longer than I wanted to be. I'm just like goofing off with this wine stuff. What am I doing? <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? I really love this. I'm just going to kind of went back to that mindset of follow your, follow your heart, follow your gut. Uh, I really like this. Let's keep pursuing it. And that was that was kind of the moment that I was like, all right, I'm going to do wine. I'm just going to see what I can do with wine. But for me, it was <clears throat> I really had to um, had to legitimize it in some way. So that's where kind of the quartermaster sommeliers came into play for me. I could only feel like I was doing myself enough credit by by going out and, and getting some level of certification with this and made it feel more validating to kind of make this decision to not go home and not go to grad school. You know, I felt right. like I needed something tangible to validate this decision. Right. Um, and that's when I started down that uh, that path. Well, fast forward, you worked at Relay and Chateau Properties in, in Aspen at the Little Nell, and then you even made your way back to New York to work at 11 Madison Park. So you've worked at these incredible properties. When did the MS certification happen? And what was that experience like? Because that was one of the other things you were going to talk about. If you were filmed the entire time getting your studying right. for the MS. That was a real behind-the-scenes yes. film uh, done called Psalm. And there's now Psalm 2 and 3. But the first one is probably the most exciting because I think it was the re- it was the first real revelation into how obsessed wine people are. Even being a wine person, watching that film, you, 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 you kind of look in the mirror and you go, oh, my gosh, we're crazy. We're crazy. We're crazy people. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was really happy when that when that came out because my family had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Yeah. You know, I come home from Colorado for for family get-togethers or you know holidays. I grew up in like suburban Maryland. You know, there's like there's no fancy restaurants up there. Nobody knows what a sommelier is, and um, and uh, they were like, "So, what do you do exactly?" And I always had to kind of explain these things. I'm like, "Well, you know, when you go to like a nice restaurant that has a a big wine list and you want to order a bottle of wine they're like no i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> so it's like i couldn't even put it into context so i was like all right ne- never mind <laughs> they're like so people just pay you to taste wine i'm like no it's not really that but sure <laughs> how did you agree to be filmed through this process of getting your master sommelier certificate um, so, you know, I started down the path of the, the court, um, when I was still working at Frostcat with Bobby and I took my intro and my certified when I was still working there. Um, and then I went to, uh, went up to the Little Nell and, uh, took in past my certified, or I'm sorry, my advanced while I was working at the Nell. Uh, and then I actually had a quick stint in San Francisco. I, I worked out in San Fran for about a year. And it was out there that I passed the MS. So, uh, but when I was living in Aspen um, and studying, uh, I actually took the the MS for the first time when I lived in Aspen, but I didn't I didn't pass the first year. And um, as I was studying, I was uh, living up there with a guy named Brian McClintock, who I had met at my advanced exam, who was also in the film. I remember sitting at his house one night, and we're just like, you know, quizzing each other with flashcards, like like you do when you're 
studying for this thing. And um, he, I remember him stopping and saying like, Hey, you know, I was talking to a, a buddy of mine who, you know, is a director on this like, travel show and he really wants to film us, you know, studying for this exam. Would you be okay with that? Sure. Yeah, fine. I don't care. Yeah, I didn't really think anything of it. And that, that guy ended up being, you know, Jason Wise, who, who was the director for the films. Anyhow, the, the, the process was, it was pretty, we just did our thing. You know, we were studying and tasting and getting together and drinking late night. And Jason became a friend, you know, he was around a lot and we just liked hanging out with him and he would drink with us and joke around and he just became a, a buddy. Um, it just happened to be a buddy that was following us around with a camera. You know, he would like crash on our couch or crash on the floor of our apartment. You know, he'd have like the, the camera set up in the corner on a, on a stand, you know, and we're just tasting and I'd be downstairs in my room studying or something. And he'd just like roll down there and be like, Hey buddy, you got 10 minutes to do a quick interview. And I just like flip my chair around. I'm like, sure. Yeah, let's do it. You know, that's, that's kind of how it was. It was so casual and so off the cuff and like, there was no casting. There was no rehearsals. It was just it was filming real. stuff. Yeah. It's it was a, just real. So that's it was what like, the success of it is. But I mean, it's just really an expose. I mean, you're really you feel like you you root for all of you to pass at the end of the day because you just feel like you've been a part of part of the journey. I guess during the whole process, I, I just kind of was under the assumption that like, hey, this is going to be kind of cool that we'll have like a, a little home video to watch, you know, <laughs> when we're done with this test. Oh boy. I didn't think it would turn into anything. I didn't think it was going to be screen. a yeah, I have no expectations. Zero. It'll be cool to like rewatch this like ten years from now. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, exactly. That's, that, yeah. that was it. Yeah. I thought we. I thought it was going to be like a DVD that just like sits on my shelf <laughs> in my apartment forever. And, and then uh, I fast forward, like you know, we passed the MS. I moved to to New York, and then um, I think I was traveling out to Santa Barbara or something. I think just to like, do some wine stuff and. Uh, we were at uh, another friend's house, this guy, Justin Willett, who's a great winemaker in, in Santa Barbara. We're at his place, and, um, and Jason was there, too. And he's like, hey, I got the first pressing of the DVD. You guys want to watch it? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So he puts it in and starts going. And, like, in the first, like, five, ten minutes, I'm like, dude, this is good. <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't know what I, I was expecting, you know, that home yeah. video kind of kind of vibe to yeah. it, but it was yeah. like it had beautiful music and the, the shots were gorgeous and like the way it was put together was really interesting and really funny. And I was like, wow, this is like legit good. This is cool. <laughs> and then kind of fast forward. Um, so this, I moved to New York to take the job at EMP in fall of 2011. So anyway, so life goes on, you know, I finished working up at uh, RN74. I move out to New York in the fall of 2011. The new year passes. I'm like getting into my new job, living in New York City, hear nothing, see nothing. You know, Jason's just kind of in pitching mode and we don't really hear much about it. And then I get a phone call from Jason being like, hey, Napa Valley Film Festival's picked this up and they really want to show it. Can you get yourself to Napa for this film festival? I'm like, yeah, cool. This sounds fun to be like the kind of the marquee opening film of the weekend wow. shown in like the big, big theater and everything. I was like, wow, that's really cool. You know, we get there and it's like all this craziness and like press there and stuff. I'm like, what in the world is going on here? <laughs> and, uh, and then we go, we watch this film and it's like beautiful theater in downtown Napa. And it's like 500 people there. Uh, it gets like a standing ovation. And then they call us up on stage 
and they're like interviewing us on stage and like looking out on this crowd and like seeing what just happened and they're all like pumped about the movie i'm like wow I'm, like this is like <laughs> weird um how was that and then like life changed after that it was like i got back home and, and I hit netflix and i was like working at amp and people would be coming into the restaurant being like oh my god have you seen this movie song it's crazy i'm like oh yeah i've definitely seen it you know <laughs> like wait are you in that are you in that one of those guys I'm like, yeah that's me yeah it was like so weird so super surreal especially because there was such and a like such a gap in between i mean you had changed so it was much. a massive gap you, in between you, yeah you moved you had a new job and um so it did propel you in some ways or it, maybe it really helped solidify even more so that decision you made uh in retrospect yeah, the thing was it's big until spring of 2013 so this is a solid two years yeah of, of time that had passed when it came out, I was like, wow, this is it's just so weird. <laughs> if you're just listening, I'm speaking with Dustin Wilson. He's small, a master sommelier, just talking about his experience on the movie Psalm um, when he was filmed studying and preparing for the exam. So after your experience on the floor working in wine, we're going to move ahead and talk about you now own two amazing, cool retail shops in both New York City and Tribeca and in San Francisco. And you've opened these stores over the past uh, several years. And when I first met you, I think we started talking about what your goal was for for retail and to bring your hospitality to um, the wine retail experience. Tell us what you're trying to do and what you see the future of wine retail to be. Frankly, I think if I would have, I was really naive going into it. I'd worked in restaurants for like 20 years, new restaurants inside and out. Retail was a whole new frontier for me. And um, I thought just because I knew a lot about wine and, you know, knew how to buy and sell wine on the floor of a restaurant that it was going to translate into, uh, into retail. And needless to say, there was lots of, there was a huge learning curve and lots of challenges. And, uh, I think for me, the reason I got into it in the first place and kind of the thing that keeps me going with it today is, I mean, I live in New York and I feel like this is one of the greatest wine cities in the world. And, there were no stores that I was like super excited to go to, to buy wine. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that there aren't great shops that have really fantastic selection. I guess for me, it was just kind of like, I knew where to go find a good bottle, but I wasn't always excited to like walk in the door Yeah, or t- have any yeah. sort of experience. There was no kind right. of experience with it. And, uh, very solo. It's a very independent, it's a very one yeah, dimensional experience, right? One dimensional, very transactional kind of thing. And, right. and then, you know, especially looking online too, I realized, you know, I couldn't find any of the wines that I wanted online and, and to be able to purchase them fairly easily. It didn't necessarily carry the types of wines that I was looking for. That was a lot of big brands and discounted stuff um, that I wasn't really interested in. And then on the flip side, the places that had, you know, the types of wines that I wanted had a really subpar uh, website experience. It was either I had trouble navigating through their site or I couldn't even figure out where to buy the wines on their site um, in, a, in a day and age where you know, I shop a lot online. I buy a lot of stuff, you know, and I think people are, are more and more used to buying stuff online. To me, that seemed like an opportunity. I was like, all right, well, you know, because I don't love going into some of these stores and there seems to be this lack of online presence for, you know, the types of wines that I'm looking for, that to me is an opportunity. And it's like, you know, how do we take the hospitality thing that has been so ingrained in my uh, in myself and then create a, a retail experience that is fun it's lively it's engaging it's educational it's vibrant and it's got 
you know, a great vibe to it. And you just want to feel good when you're either in there or when you're shopping online. And then obviously it's got great product. So for us, the differentiator had to be in the experiential side of it. Mm -hmm. The goal has always been to create a place that people are, uh, feel really welcome, that feel excited to be there, um, that feel like no matter what their knowledge level that they can, they can feel, you know, like they're not being looked down upon, for instance, if they don't know a ton about wine, that they feel really comfortable. And we kind of break down those, the intimidation factor that wine can sometimes bring and uh, a place that, that people can come and have a lot of fun and learn and, and not like in a overly geeky way. Um, because I feel like as wine professionals, we sometimes want to, we love to geek out and I love to geek out too, but, you know, we got to realize sometimes that the the people that we're helping don't always understand what we're saying. So we, you know, there's got to be um, some element of not dumbing it down, but like making sure that we explain things well and in a non non intimidating way. Yeah, I think sense. yeah, I think wine so. is becoming more approachable for people. Uh, we're demystifying a lot of that sommelier language. People are trying. We're trying to, like you say, I think speak the language to everybody about wine and what does acidity mean what does fruit mean what does dry mean just kind of basic terminology that some people still don't really know when we're saying those things and describing wine yeah i think sometimes there's like an inclination for people to either um show off how much they know mm -hmm. about wine there's a tendency sometimes for people to judge uh the preferences of people who are you know maybe like things that are different than them or don't necessarily know as much about wine. So they, they, they buy things that, you know, you might think are subpar or not cool enough. Right. Um, and that kind of mentality just drives me nuts. So for you, know, like, we'll always have great products, but you know, the thing that I like pound into our, our teams are, it doesn't matter if they come in asking for something that you think is ridiculous, or if they ask a question that you think is really basic. Our jobs is to make them feel welcome, make them feel really good, help guide them through the process um, in a really nice way that makes them feel, by the time they leave, I want them feeling like they just had an awesome time in there and they maybe learned a little something. And how's the uh, feedback been? Are you um, are you going to have verbs in every city or, or, or tell me what your plans are? <laughs> no, the, they the, probably the, need the response them. has been really good. Uh, response has been great. We're still always trying to kind of tweak things and define kind of who we are, what we're all about. And it's, I realize that that's a really difficult thing to do as you're building a company is like, you know, really finding yourself, um, kind of who you are as a business is is tough so we're still always working on that and always kind of tweaking things well each market I mean, the long -term is so plan different is, too each market's totally different what people like is different and what they expect is different um which we've also learned just being in new york and then in san francisco too no so the plan is to is to definitely open in a couple at least a few more key locations one to have a uh, physical presence um but secondly to also kind of make our our logistics and shipping a little bit more efficient so it's like uh, half your business wine to people. is half your business online or how, how, how has the online business? Uh, as a successful? percentage, it's, it's still, you know, a smaller percentage of the business, but it's growing. And, you know, part of the problem with uh, growth on that end is, you know, shipping costs for wine are, is, is sometimes prohibitively expensive. Mm -hmm. Wine is pain in the butt, man, to, to deal with on the shipping side because it's, it's perishable products. Mm -hmm. It's sensitive to temperature it's heavy and then it's also uh it's alcohol so it's got a ton of regulations around yeah, it. so it's a huge pain in the butt. confusing right 
part of the strategy with kind of having access points in various locations around the country is to be able to find wines that you're looking for and get get the wines to people more right. cheaply and efficiently. Oh, that helps. Um, right. You and know, if we can outlets. if we can lower the yeah if we can lower the the shipping hurdles for people, you know, if they look at their cart and at the end it's not extravagantly expensive to ship, we're more likely to start growing more of that business. So Absolutely. Kind of where we're going. So to wrap up, how do you see the wine drinkers evolving right now? What regions, what grapes? I know in my work and my background, there are always peaks and valleys with popularities and wines and styles. But what do you see is really hot right now? And Um, I mean, I think right now where I'm seeing things going is that there's like not any rules anymore. And what I mean by that is people are making really interesting, quirky styles of wine from various great varieties and in in places that you wouldn't expect i think the whole idea of thinking about wines that are classic you know when we think about classic wines places like burgundy barolo you know rhone wines um even like nathanelle cabernet and stuff like that you know i think those, those will always have a place and they'll obviously they're classic for a reason but what i think is where things are going is this idea of just kind of grow and blend whatever you want and, um, you know, grow things in places that maybe don't have a long history and experimentation is like huge right now. And the younger generation of drinkers don't care as much about like the Appalachian name or, you know, drinking something that's been around for a really long time. It's, I think sometimes it's the, uh, the philosophies of the winemaker and, the location of where it's coming from and, uh, and almost even good. like quir- quirkier stuff is is like becoming more popular than than the classic stuff well hopefully which i think is kind of fun yeah but hopefully at the end of the day it's still good juice in the bottle totally yeah <laughs> and i mean that's that's like that's like our thing is uh, no matter what it is it's got to be delicious it's got to so, be delicious it's got to be delicious um there's your tagline you know, but, for verve there you go yeah, yeah. <laughs> be delicious. exactly it will be delicious but like uh yeah, so I think this whole idea of like no rules if the wine's delicious is uh, is a really fun mentality, and I think if it allows people to make wine a little more accessible and get more people into it, um, you know, for me that's that's great. Awesome. At some point, if down the line, if people want to drink the great Burgundies of the world and stuff like that, that's totally cool. But um, I think whatever gets you into wine and gets you excited about it is yeah. is fun, and that seems to be what's happening right now. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Dustin, for sharing your stories. It's great to hear a lot of of these uh, behind-the-scene moments firsthand. I wish you best of luck in your next endeavor and hopefully see more Verve on the skyline. And, uh, yeah, we wish you the best of luck. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. appreciate it. All right. Good luck. And thanks again for listening to Camille's Demi Hour on Nantucket's NPR station. Tune in every weekend through Labor Day on 89.5 Nantucket's NPR station, Saturday mornings at 1030 and Sundays at 1130. If you want to hear the full episodes, you can find me on iTunes. Cheers!